In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of Toot, um, and today's Gospel reading occurs right after Christ our Lord sent out the twelve apostles and the seventy apostles to go out and preach to the to the surrounding regions, and the apostles came back rejoicing. Uh, they rejoiced because they were able to cast out demons and to work miracles, and they were very happy about that. But Christ corrected them and said that, um, you know, that th- these, the, the source of your joy should not be because of the miracles that you're working, but because people's uh, salvation is being accomplished, and especially your salvation as well as those whom uh, you're preaching. Because when they preached, they preached with power. They didn't just preach with words, but God allowed the Holy Spirit to accompany them, to work signs and miracles, to give weight to their speech, and to witness to the validity of the words that they were saying in front of all peoples. Um, as St. Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the apostles rejoiced then because they saw all these miracles and powers, but Christ corrected them. The focus and reason of our joy is, is our hope that's prepared for us, our salvation and those around us. And our names are written in the kingdom of heaven with all the saints, angels, and martyrs, and prophets. This is the true joy, the kind that lasts forever. Um, the kind of joy that no one can take away from us, right? The kind that we can even begin to uh, taste even now on earth, to rest in God's work of salvation. This is true joy that we should all try to live in. So those who walk in that um, day by day, those who walk in salvation, in the acts of salvation day after day, those are the ones that are living in joy. Those, of course, who starts with baptism and partaking of the Eucharist that renews our life and secures our joy, the joy that comes out of repentance when we break free of the shackles of sin that enslaves us and that makes us sad and depressed, we break free of that and it causes us great joy and happiness, right, when we, when we break through sin. Uh, we receive joy from prayer. We, um, how many broken souls have been healed through prayer? Prayer is a mighty weapon that we hold and it's the mere, uh, the, the mere signing of the cross and the saying of the name of Jesus Christ, the singing of the Psalms has power to bring us closer to God immediately and we bask in His glory and His joy. We also, and don't laugh at this, we receive joy from fasting. You know, when we fast, it's actually a joyful thing. I, I know a story of uh, a lady who went to work one day and she was really happy. And so the, the, her Muslim counterpart asked her, you know, why are you so happy? Uh, and she said, today I'm fasting. Today begins the big, you know, the big uh, Lenten fast um, where we fast 50 days. And she was so pricked by that, that she went back and she inquired more about Christianity. She eventually converted uh, to Christianity, and the thing that triggered it was the joy that this Christian lady had while before, like while she started her fasting. Um, the joy from deeper understanding, the reading of Scripture and the Church Fathers gives us joy. Reading the Word of God itself has this mystical power to, that gives us every reassurance and establishes our joy. The joy that comes from moving from darkness to light, from uh, ignorance to knowledge and to understanding, these things grant us this joy to comprehend God's true glory and to see how God has dealt with peoples of the past. Those things give us joy. Those who experience such things, they return for more and more, and so they grow 
they grow more and more in the spiritual life. This is what Christ began to see with the twelve apostles and the twelve disciples and the twelve and the seventy apostles when they returned. The beginning of the salvation of the world, the beginning of the works of salvation. And he rejoiced, the Bible says, in his spirit. Our loving Lord loves and longs and even desires greatly the safety and salvation of all. He desires all to to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, as uh, the Bible says. And so he rejoiced in his spirit. How beautiful, though, is it when our joy is the same thing, is is built on the same thing that causes joy to our Savior. Uh, We put ourselves in the service of others. We also put ourselves in that joy, especially in the service of eternal salvation to those around us. We find true joy as Christ rejoiced. Um, To have this mind of Christ is to have that joy. As St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he was serving others for salvation, and we also should have the same mind. Having the same mind of Christ puts us in line with all of the prophets of old and the saints that are new, uh, Moses, Elijah, David, and others, even those who were serving, the very same people who brought them to extreme danger, these were the saints of old, and that's what brought them joy. Uh, St. Paul, the apostles, all the martyrs, like St. Ignatius that we're reading about in the men's group, uh, St. Athanasius, the recent popes too, Pope Carolos, Pope Shenoudas, all these people were great servants and they found their joy in that. Their joy was the salvation of others. Even when they were brought into extreme dangers and we know these saints suffered a lot. So having this mind of Christ that brings us the fullness of life and joy can belong to all and it's actually the responsibility of all Christians. In James chapter 5, verse 20, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Also in Daniel, something similar, it says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's a great reward that God gives us to help in the salvation of others, to cause repentance in others, and also to bring them closer to God. Having this mind doesn't only belong to the priests and to the servants, it belongs to everyone, all the Christians. And in fact, it can be even more effective for you than it can be for like even a priest, right? Um, you're, you guys are with one another, you know each other, you know each other's weaknesses, our short, their shortcomings, you know each other's failings, you have greater freedom of speech to talk to each other, uh, greater love, greater intimacy. And because you have that that is a huge advantage to preaching and to teaching, right? And to also delivering some tough love sometimes when necessary and giving that rebuke when necessary. Where a priest, if I were to come and tell somebody harsh, it may be taken differently. But you have that relationship with people and it's much more effective. And also the priests and servants are only a handful of people, but look, the church is full today. Imagine if everyone took on this priestly service, right? This apostolic service of helping in the salvation of others. It would be very effective. Uh, Therefore, St. Paul says, do not neglect such a gift. This is also the cause of joy with the angels. 
Likewise, I say to you, as our Lord says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when one sinner comes closer to God and repents, there's like a party in heaven. The, the angels themselves rejoice. Joy upon joy for those who live with that mind of Christ because that's for that same reason he rejoiced as he talks about today. But so do the angels, the prophets, the saints, the martyrs, and all the servants who labor for the salvation of all. When we look on the flip side, right, the opposite is true, um, as it is with most of the world, that those who do not labor for their own salvation or even helping others uh, and those around him, but in selfishness, they put all of their energy into accumulation of wealth or to accumulation of things of this world, material objects, the pride of life. These people are usually without joy, and you guys might have seen that. Uh, if they turn, though, they can begin to exercise this true happiness. So after rejoicing in the Spirit, our Lord thanks God the Father for revealing the life-giving and saving works, which He calls the divine plan or the divine economy, um, so that He reveals that divine plan to the babes. He says, reveal those to the babes. Who are the babes, uh, the babies? St. Cyril of Alexandra says, um, the great and adorable mystery of our Savior was hidden in silence even before the foundations of the world in the knowledge of the Father but was revealed to the babes, those who are baptized in the church, who are become innocent as babes because of the grace of the baptism that we receive, not our own gift, but the, gra the grace and the gift of God which we receive through baptism. Because before this time, when it wasn't revealed, the multitude of wise people who preceded us, all the prophets, uh, even uh, some of the Greek philosophers, Aristotle and all those, they could not find the things that we find so easily today. Uh, but with Christ, including his birth, his teachings, his miracles, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his, as being the first fruits of the resurrection, we find true wisdom, which is the fruit of eternal life, unlike their wisdom, which yielded no fruit. So in the litany of the gospel, we repeat, the, uh, the priest repeats the word, that we read today in the gospel that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which we see and to hear the things which we hear St. Peter says it as well to them it was revealed not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into things which angels are interested in. These are the things that were delivered to us. It was revealed to us because of a gift that He has given to us and we're responsible for how we respond to that gift. Um, but we're also asked to act in accordance with that high calling which we're called. So when we hear those things it's not enough. It's important for us to react to that and to um, show it in our lives. We often take for granted the scriptures the things, the truths, and the mysteries that were revealed through scriptures, we take it for granted. We did this exercise once in Sunday school, and we did it for the men's meeting as well, so bear with me uh, again when we do this again. So we look at a Bible, it's about 1,800 pages or so, the specific Bible we were looking at, the Old and New Testaments, and we, I asked the kids, you know, how long would it take to hand copy with your hand one page of the Bible? And they said, you know, one page with really good handwriting and with a little bit of quality assurance to make sure there was no mistakes. Because we want to live like before, like 600 years ago when there was no printing press. 
So they said they all said about an hour, an hour with that really fine print to hand copy with good handwriting and with really good penmanship and with accuracy so that it's, a, after all, it's the Bible, you need to be very accurate. So if it takes about an hour, it takes about 1,800 hours to hand copy the whole Bible. So 1,800 hours, which is almost a full work year, right? We know a work year is about 2,080 hours that a person works full-time, 40 hours a week. So this is 1,800 hours. So working full-time, maybe with a couple of vacations throughout the year, that it will take him that long to hand copy the Bible. And if we look at the Department of Industrial Relations and how they're raising minimum wage to about $15 an hour, let's say you want to hire somebody at least with an associate's degree, right? Because you want to have that level of accuracy. So let's say we pay somebody $20 an hour to have good handwriting and accurate um, copying of the Bible. So $20 an hour times 1,800 hours, that's $36,000. So you can say that your Bible is worth $36,000 at least. We know, of course, it's priceless and worth much more than that to us. But imagine if you had a Bible that's worth, you had this book that's $36,000. How much value would you place in that book? This is what it costed and how much effort it cost uh, before uh, in Germany 500 years ago when they uh, invented the printing press and changed everything, right? But before that, it was all handwritten. So we had like one copy in a whole village where you would go like it was like a, a prelude to a library. You would go and you would check out the Gospel of St. Matthew. You'd take it back to your family and not just your family but the extended family and you let everyone know, I have the Gospel of St. Matthew, everyone. And they would all gather and they would read and they would commit them to memory. I mean, their focus was on memorizing the scriptures. We teach our Sunday school kids today to memorize, but it's hard when they have everything on their phone, right? And you can just do word searches. And so our memory is not like the church fathers before us. They used to memorize whole books of the Bible, Gospels, and some, some saints even memorized the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, now we download it for free on our phones and we can do word searches. It's just uh, it's so convenient for us. But, and there's, you know, there's also hand, like copies of the Bible everywhere you look, right? Everyone has a version of the scriptures. But the ease of which we access the truths of the Bible does not make them any less valuable. That app is a $36,000 app you're downloading. Can you imagine that? If you paid Apple $36,000 to download a Bible app. But that's how much the Bible is worth. Nevertheless, no matter how easy it is for us to access it, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. It's an amazing book written over the period of about 1500 years, over 40 writers with different backgrounds and different education levels, and yet they all write about one theme, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when God says that He shall bruise the head of the serpent, to the very end, when He says that He will return quickly, in Revelations. This book is divinely inspires and expresses the Word of God in our human language. The Bible is the greatest book ever written, it's the most book ever written, in it, God Himself speaks to man, and not just speaks to humanity generally, speaks to you directly. It is a personal message to you. That is what Scripture is. It's a book of divine instruction. So let us then search this Scripture with renewed interest and begin to dive deeper in understanding in it. Scripture is part of who we are. It's part of our identity, especially as Coptic Orthodox Christians. Scripture is part of our identity. We know that the oldest reference 
that is in existence right now is uh, listing out what scripture is in the first place is listed out by Saint Athanasius in the year 367 AD in his 39th Paschal letter during Easter. He lists out all of the books of the Bible and that is the oldest book of what we call the canon scripture today. And he lists out the Old and the New Testament um, in this completely, in his completeness. He was of course our 20th Pope, right? Um, and later in that letter he lists out all the books but he also says that these other books are not scripture. So the Holy Spirit gave him and the Church Fathers guidance and wisdom to perceive what is scripture, what is divinely inspired, and what is not. And he says, um, St. Athanasius says, but the false writings are an invention of heretics who write them when they choose, bestowing upon them their praise and assigning to them a date that so using them as ancient writings, they may find occasion to lead astray the simple. So the Holy Spirit worked with these saints to establish the canon of the books of the Bible and to discern what was holy and divinely inspired and what was not and what was heretical. These same saints, of course, are those who believed in the critical aspects of our church, the Eucharist, the priesthood, etc. Uh, it is part of who we are. Scripture is part of who we are. It's part of our identity, and sometimes we forget that. Uh, I see others looking outside uh, for meaning of Scripture when we have the meaning inside of our church in much greater depth for those who are willing to search for it. Let us then rediscover who we are in our tradition with Scripture. All the doctrines of the, the church are in accordance with Bible teachings. It's one of our measuring rods that and our instruments to know that we're walking on the right path. But the Bible too, of course, like I mentioned, is a, a letter to you on a personal level. Scripture purifies us on a very intimate and personal level. The Bible reveals our feelings and our attitudes and compares our life to Christ's life. Christ also challenges us by saying, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. St. Paul urges us saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Even when things are difficult to understand, keep reading. There's a story of one of the monks who um, was told by his abbot to read the Bible from beginning to end. So it took him a few months and he read the whole Bible and he went back and said, Father, I didn't understand anything. He said, go back and read it again. So he read it again and he comes back to him and said, Father, I still didn't understand anything. He said, go back and read it again. So he goes back, comes back after a couple months, says, I read it a third time. I still don't understand anything. He says, it's okay, put, it, put that Bible down for a second, take this basket and go fill it with water from that well over there. So he takes the basket, fills it with water, and of course what happens to the water, it comes out, right? And he comes back and he says, you know, I, I did as you asked, but there's no water in the basket. And he said, do it again. And so he did it again, and he took it to the well, and he, out of obedience, this was a very obedient monk, right? Not questioning his abbot. And so he took it, put it in the water, brought it back to his monk, father, and of course all the water came out. And so he said, I did it, but look, it didn't hold any water. So the abbot says, do it a third time. So he went back and did it a third time. Same thing happened. And he brought it back to him. And so he said, father, I did it again. I'm sorry, there's no water in the basket. And, and the abbot says, now look at the basket. Do you notice anything different about it? And he said, yes, it's much cleaner. So in the same way, we read scripture and the scripture purifies us and makes us cleaner, even though we may not notice it. So keep reading. And if you have trouble understanding, there's always um, sources that you have, a lot of sources we have in our church. Um, 
of course, we have the church fathers to help us and understand. Um, instead of recreating the wheel and trying to understand, we can um, go to the, the church fathers, the experts. Invite the experts. Invite St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil, St. Athanasius, St. Augustine, all these great saints that study scripture and have a verse-by-verse commentary on most of the scripture. We say that if all of the Bibles were to disappear today and there was no electricity so that we can't pull them up on our phones, we can reconstruct the Bible through the quotes of the church fathers. So they quote scripture so much that you can take those quotes and kind of reassemble the Bible in its entirety if we were to do that. That's how much the church fathers talked about and and commented upon, upon scripture. So the Word of God is very effective and has deep influence on our life. We should not um, be negligent about that. And it's very powerful. Uh, there's a couple of nice sayings. I have kept your words in my heart that I, may, that I may not sin against you in the Psalms. Also in Hebrews, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible offers comfort and sorrow, advice in our problems, guidance when we're confused, rebuke for our sins, and other benefits. So, some practical things here with regard to Scripture, so that we can say, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Have the Bible open in your house, constant. Read it. Story. Um, there's the story of uh, this priest, some of you might have heard it, who did a visitation at someone's house. And after they read the Bible together, he put the Bible down. And after he left, the, the couple were like, we had this $100 bill that was sitting here and it's gone. We can't find it now. The priest might, must have taken it. So after his visit, this couple didn't go to church for like months. And so he, the priest bumped into the couple and said, you know, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. You know, are you okay? And then the, 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 the man said, honestly, Father, we're kind of upset with you. Uh, we had a $100 bill sitting there, and frankly, Father, we know that you took it, because it was gone right after you left. And, and the father said, no, my son, I saw the $100 bill there. After we finished reading, I put the Bible on the $100 bill, thinking that you would be reading the Bible and you would see it, because I didn't want it to get lost for you. So that was proof that they didn't read the Bible. <laughs> they kept their Bible just there on a shelf without, um, without reading it. So let's not let that happen to us. Let's open up that $36,000 book and read it. It's worth much more than that. Let it nourish our life. Live by it through, um, through, live by it through our actions. Uh, we shouldn't analyze it scientifically, um, but accept it by spirit. It's a spiritual book, even though it touches on history. It's not a historical book. It touches on science. It's not a scientific book, right? It's not a science book. Uh, it touches on poetry. It's not a book of poetry, but it touches on poetry. It even touches on love stories, but it's not like a Romeo and Juliet, right? The theme of the book is Jesus Christ's work for, and His love for us for our salvation. And so we should read it with that spirit. And we'll find Christ on every single page. And it's a, de- a message that He delivers to you personally. Um, and He may deliver things to you that He has not delivered to anyone else before. And for these reasons, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. May we be worthy to hear and to act according to his holy gospel, to the prayers of his saints, and glory be to his name forever. Amen.